Some of you may know that the Chinese symbol for crisis is actually a combination of two different characters, one meaning danger and the other meaning opportunity. It's a reminder that even though you might be in the midst of a crisis yourself, in the throes of desperation and despair and darkness, even though it might be easy for you to focus on the danger part of things, there is always, by the grace of God, an opportunity. Just ask two men sitting in a cold, dark, dank prison cell, all alone with no hope, except one of those two men happens to be the Apostle Paul, who sees the opportunity in the crisis and uses that opportunity to speak a word of hope and witness to, of all people, the prison guard. And because of Paul saying yes to the opportunity, that prison guard became a Christian. Just ask a man who was hanging on a cross, sentenced to die for a crime that he didn't commit, except that man happened to be Jesus Christ, who looked over to one side and saw on the cross next to him a criminal who was desperate. Yet Jesus saw that crisis, that danger, as an opportunity to bear witness to God's transforming love and actually led that man to Jesus himself. I don't know about you, but there may be a part of all of us this morning that recognizes the crisis, the danger that we are a part of this morning. And it may be that the only part of the sermon that you need is this one, a reminder that even though you might be in a crisis situation, God is calling you to seize an opportunity and to be part of God's transforming power and love in some unique way. That may be the only sermon you need. In fact, you might be okay if I stopped preaching right now. Okay, thanks. That's... I actually have handwritten in my manuscript, don't be surprised if Vicki says amen here. There she goes. Well, I'm going to keep going. Because today's sermon is beyond just the individual. It focuses not just on our own private needs, but on the global witness of the church and the opportunity that this church has to be a witness, just like Paul, just like Jesus, to the most unsuspecting people. It comes from the word of witness that Jess just read for us from the prophet Jeremiah, who reached straight into the depths of the suffering and the darkness of the people of Israel right there in the midst of exile. And he dared to tell them that even though you're in the midst of a crisis, Israelites, there actually is an opportunity for you to seize if you will simply say yes to God. And here it is, Israelites. Seek the welfare of the city. Because in its welfare, you will find your welfare It's a passage that he spoke 2,600 years ago, 500 years before Jesus even touched the earth. People of Israel were captured by the Babylonian Empire. They were picked up and whisked away thousands of miles away for 70 years in exile in a foreign land surrounded by a foreign city. And here they were, homesick, 
heartsick, longing for return. All they had ever known was gone. Their temple had been destroyed. Their king was dethroned. Their kingly line was ended. And even the promised land that had been given to them ancestors ago was vanquished. Just like Paul and Silas in their jail cell. Just like Jesus hanging on the cross. The exile was a place of absolute misery and despair. Or was it? Could it be that the strange word that Jeremiah was giving them was, there's an opportunity here and God needs you to seize it. Along comes Jeremiah, whose role in the Old Testament is one of the most unenviable tasks of any in the entire Bible. His job was to speak often a controversial and challenging word to people who didn't want to hear it, a word from God. And of all the prophets, he was the one who was most gifted of driving the point home with theatrics. He was a street performer slash preacher One time he took a clay pot fresh off the spinning wheel and he crashed it onto the ground as a visual way of calling people to repentance. One time he took an oxen yoke and he put it on his neck and he marched through the streets as a way of visually telling the people that God had Babylon under control. And it's here in Jeremiah chapter 29 that Jeremiah dares to say something that is utterly inconceivable. This is the command that he gave to the Israelites. To all of you who are in exile under Babylon, who are yearning for home, who want to get out of here, whose prison cell you want to have sprung loose, here's the message. Bloom where you're planted. Stay here for now. Build houses here in Babylon. Raise gardens. Create families. Make the best of it. Grow in numbers. Make Babylon strong. If you make the city around you flourish, if you can lift up hope and light for this city of all places, then in fact you will find hope and light for yourself. That's not the word the Israelites were wanting to hear. When when Jeremiah opened his mouth, what they were hoping he would say is, y'all are going to be free soon. Get ready because the cavalry's coming. God is going to spring you loose and good times are ahead. But that is not what Jeremiah said. That is not what the people wanted to hear. The message was, stay here, make the city around you better. And if I can make it even more clear than this, I would put it this way to you. Children of God, seek the welfare of downtown Tampa. Because in its well-being, we will find our well-being. Does that sound crazy? Surprising? Absolutely. Is it unusual? Not really. It's not unusual because the people of God have been called to be witnesses to their surrounding area 
for generations, especially for us who are called Methodists, because it's in our DNA. It's in our heritage. It's in our blood to go out into the frontier and bring the message of God's love out to where people are. Maybe hard to imagine this today at a time when there are more United Methodist congregations than there are post offices in this country. But there was a time when United Methodists actually went out into the frontier. They didn't wait for people to come to church. They went out to where people were, sometimes on horseback and on saddle, out in the treacheries of the wild, untamed frontier. That was the case for a certain preacher on horseback named John C. Lee. We call him J.C. Lee, whose birthday actually is this Thursday. We would be marking his 179th birthday if he were alive today. He was a circuit rider, named a circuit rider because he would often travel a circuit of little villages and towns that were so far apart that the only way that he could get to them was to ride a horse back in those days. He wrote an autobiography. It's a wonderful little volume called 52 Years in Florida. It's hard to find an actual hard copy of this book. We're fortunate to have a a copy that we can look at because J.C. Lee's great, 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 is, is, is that just how great you are, or are there more greats? Just three greats. His great, great, great granddaughter, Martha Altman, sitting here in the second pew, this is her book. A book that J.C. Lee wrote himself about his origins and his work as a circuit writer. He tells the story here about how he was only one of eight circuit writers in the entire state of Florida. At the very, very beginning of the birth of this state, they were headquartered at a base camp in Georgia. And one day in 1844, the leader said, who wants to go to Florida? And only eight of them raised their hand, and he was one of them. And he was assigned 16 little villages to preach at and to establish communion and little congregations. 200 miles apart, this whole circuit was. And so often he would travel on this horse, often forging new paths that had not been created yet, swimming through rivers, fighting off wildlife, even even contracting diseases for a long time. He talks about in the book, he had malaria, utterly fatigued and worn out, only to discover that the villages that he visited were filled with frontiers people who were no better off than he was. These were people who were coming from all across that part of the country to try to find new life as immigrants into little pockets and villages all throughout Florida only to experience hardship. And then, on a wonderful day in 1860, just 15 years after Florida had entered the Union as a state, J.C. Lee came upon a very tiny settlement called Fort Brook, nestled along a very wide-mouthed bay along the Gulf Coast of Florida. 
place that you and I now know as Tampa. And there's where J.C. Lee began his work as the very first Methodist to come to this neck of the woods. He established relationships with the villagers. He made connections with them. He, he lived among them. He worshipped with them, preached to them, established communion, organized them. And then he created a place where they could come together for connection, conversation, and community change. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. There's one part in his autobiography that just jumped out at me as I was rereading it this week. It was a description of the very reason he first became a circuit rider, a description of the immigrants that first came to Fort Brook, Tampa, and the reason he kept on going to do what he did. This is what he said. The little money that the immigrant carried with him had generally been spent, and now the question was, after suffering so much, shall I abandon all and go back to my friends, or shall I try to weather it through and save my land? The preacher, circuit rider, who traveled this work had some of what the world calls hardships, but we did not feel them very hard. There is a silver lining to every cloud, and our trials were mingled with joys. And here's the last part of this quote that I'd love for us to remember. We, the circuit riders, adopted as our motto, wherever men can go for money, we can go for the love of Christ and for souls. Wherever people go to find new opportunity, to create a new life for themselves, to support themselves financially, to create new community, wherever people can go for money, for new life, we can go for the love of Christ and for souls. And with that banner, that motto leading his charge, the Reverend John C. Lee established in Fort Brook a Methodist church that we had come to know now as First Methodist Church in downtown Tampa. The very first Methodist congregation in all of Tampa Bay. And it was over a hundred years later, by a hundred years ago, just decades later, that that very same church, First Church downtown, gave birth to another congregation in the frontier across the Hillsborough River at the corner of Platt and Magnolia that we now know as Hyde Park United Methodist Church. And it all started because one person decided to become a circuit rider and not wait for people to come to Jesus, but to go take Jesus to them. Because wherever people go for money, we go for the love of Christ and for souls. And now, here in the year 2016, we are called to be circuit riders once again. Ironically, back to the very same place where it all began, 
back to that very same campus of First Church, downtown Tampa. The Portico is our second campus that was the site of that old First Church. We've owned it for the past three years, and it has been the location for all sorts of wonderful ministries in that property, from weekly meditation gatherings to urban art marts to documentary film nights to all sorts of other ministries and possibilities. But now, starting this fall, in just a matter of weeks, we're starting a new phase of growth at the Portico, the start of a brand new worshiping congregation that starts on September 11th, Sunday nights, at 5.30. It'll meet on the second floor of the administration building for now while we complete some incredible, amazing renovations in that sanctuary this fall. Now, you may have heard a lot about it. We've been talking about it for years, certainly over the last few months. Or it could be that you don't know anything about the portico. This may be the first that you're hearing about it, regardless of where you are. I invite you to watch this video as it will give you both information and inspiration about what has been done and how you can get involved. Since the earliest days of the Christian faith and the founding of the Methodist movement, followers of Jesus have received the call to go into the world, to spread the message of God's love, and to make it real. Today, our church is located along a new frontier of witness and outreach the downtown urban core of Tampa and a growing population of spiritually seeking people who may be disconnected from faith communities. And just like the early days of Methodism when the church grew because of the work of pioneer missionaries known as circuit riders, we are grateful for the dozens of people who are part of launching our new ministry at our downtown campus called The Portico. Portico is the real deal. It's for the spiritually adventurous, no matter your age. In total, we have been praying for 120 people to be part of a new worshiping community that will be gathering at the portico, currently undergoing an amazing renovation. I know I can go to that place and be a part of something good. And I think that's what the portico offers. When construction is completed later this fall, the portico will have beautiful new spaces including the Portico Cafe, a new coffee shop with a mission. I'm very excited. Being able to start from the floor up, uh, planning all of the menus, planning the items we're going to carry, um, buying the equipment, and knowing what all of the stuff that we're purchasing is going to go toward, being able to employ people that are in need in the city um, you know, through some of the different programs that the city offers, like DACO and um, Metropolitan Ministries and stuff, being able to put those people back to work. In addition to the cafe, the Portico will have numerous ministries to make God's love real by caring for our children, becoming a host to artistic expression, partnering with others to address poverty and homelessness, raising awareness of social justice issues in our world, and forming small groups to grow spiritually. We give thanks that much of the cost of the renovation has been paid for by existing funds given to the church at the time we acquired the campus. The building team has worked very hard to be responsible with those funds with a carefully crafted and responsible budget. 
The building committee is now selecting the finishing touches for the portico. This includes everything associated with curb appeal, landscaping and hardscaping, furnishings for the cafe and the sanctuary, materials for children's ministry and small groups. So these are the aspects that are going to touch our new neighbors and the people that come here. And the building committee is going to have to skimp on these decisions if we don't bring in more donations at this point. The generous donor has offered $200,000 in matching funds. And so any contribution any of our members make will double, their impact will be doubled. And I think it would be a shame if we didn't take full advantage of that matching gift. So, how can you be involved? First, join us in prayer. Pray for the ongoing work of the Spirit to lead us and guide us into this exciting future. Second, become a member of the 120 people who will be making the portico their primary place of worship and service in the church. Third, give financially. Your gift, no matter the size, will make a kingdom difference as we launch the portico. It will enable us to reach new people in new places in new ways. The portico makes God's love real through conversation, connection, and community change for a whole new group of people, people who are looking for a place that is open-minded and warm-hearted. Once again and together, let's make God's love real. I really do believe that history will show that the start of the Portico campus and its ministries will mark one of the greatest chapters in the life and history of Hyde Park United Methodist Church. That's saying a lot, and I don't think we can understate it, that even with all of the amazing ministries that we experience together on this campus, this will be a living fruition of our heritage and DNA to be circuit riders to a new frontier. Not a geographic frontier, because these two campuses aren't all that far apart, but a new spiritual frontier, a new vast wilderness in which there are throngs of spiritually hungry, seeking people who are unchurched, who are unreached, who don't want anything to do with conventional Christianity and traditional forms of faith, but who might just be enticed to step foot onto a place of conversation, connection, and community change. And that's what the portico is all about. That video hopefully informed you that the pieces are coming together. Hopefully it inspired you to be part of it in some way through your prayers, through your financial gifts, perhaps even to join in worship in a different kind of worship experience that we offer here on Sunday mornings on the Platte Street campus, a worship experience that will feature meditative silence and interactive participation and uplifting music and weekly communion. It'll be very familiar to those of us who are used to worshiping every week, but it may have some new elements that reach into a different part of your soul. I'll be preaching most of those services on Sunday nights, but it'll be in conjunction and in shared leadership with a wonderful team of volunteers and, of course, Justin LaRosa, the, the campus minister down there. All the pieces are coming together. Maybe it's just waiting for you to participate through your prayers by joining the worshiping congregation, 
by giving financially even to help offset some of the surprising costs that have inevitably come up when a construction project comes up. Whatever it may be, God may be calling you. Since last October, I've been carrying around with me three orange slips of paper, very similar to the ones that many of you picked up when we last preached about the portico about a year ago. On these slips of paper are the first names of residents of downtown Tampa that I've been praying for may be reached through the portico ministry. I'd like to add a new list of names to my own prayer list and to yours. It's a list of 90 individuals, 90 plus people who have heard the call to be circuit riders in the spirit of J.C. Lee himself, who are going to be part of the new worshiping congregation that starts on September 11th. All throughout the morning, we are concluding our sermons by inviting anybody in the worship space who's part of that 90 to come on up. And in fact, if you're part of the Portico Worshiping Congregation, you can work your way up right now and form a line right in front of me and Kim and face us this morning. I'd also like to ask for another special group of people to start working their way up, if you wish. If you have had connections in any way to the former First Methodist Church downtown, maybe you were a member of that church or shared a special life stage event in that church, we invite you to come up as well. We're not going to ask you to say anything. We won't put you on the spot, but we want to make this a visual bridge between the past and the future to remind us that the Spirit has always been at work. And so if you were part of the first church downtown Tampa, just stand right here next to Kim or to me and face the congregation. And we'll invite you to simply stand here with your visible presence as well. You know, this is a remarkable service. I don't know if it's settled in on you yet. I'm still getting my head around the fact that even though most churches that are experiencing decline are doing so because they're focusing inward. You might have seen that news article circulating on social media. This service alone proves just how outwardly focused this church is. And I don't, I don't say that to trumpet ourselves or to pat ourselves on the back. It's simply a reminder to all of us of what is in the DNA of every local congregation because the Spirit is always calling us out into the frontier and simply looking for circuit riders to say yes, to go out there in the vast, risky, treacherous wilderness and to say wherever people are looking for new life, that's where we will go. Whether it's in South Africa or in urban cities across America or even just a couple miles away, in downtown Tampa, wherever people are going to look for money, for new life, that's where we will go for the love of Christ and for souls. We want to say a prayer of blessing over these individuals, and at one point we'll invite you, the congregation, to say your blessing upon them. So we invite your attention to the streets. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we gather here today on the horizon of a new spiritual frontier, receiving the call from Jesus to go into the world and make disciples. We also hear the call of Reverend J.C. Lee, who said that where people go to find new life, we can go for the love of Christ.
and for souls. Brothers and sisters, before us are those who have been called to be circuit riders in the planting of a new worshiping congregation at the portico. And so to these persons I ask, do you receive this call from Christ and do you respond with obedience and a servant's heart? If so, please say, I do. Will you be faithful in your support of the portico, modeling for each other and for new people a community of connection, conversation, and community change? If so, please say, I will. Will Will you care for one another, draw newcomers to God among your neighbors and friends, give of your time and resources, grow in your own discipleship, and be a light to others? If so, please say, I will. Will you please turn and face the congregation? Brothers and sisters of the congregation, I commend these persons to you as missionaries of a modern age, circuit riders for a new century. Will you pray for them, join them, and offer your own support of prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness? If so, answer with the words on the screen. With great joy. We offer God our praise and thanksgiving for these persons today. We will support the ministries of this church, both at the High Park Campus and the Portico Campus, through our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. We affirm today, just as long ago, that where people go to find life, we will go for the love of Christ and for souls. Amen. Hallelujah. I think it's appropriate to express our joy to God for the gift of these wonderful people. Thank you all. And now as a response to God's word, we offer ourselves indeed through the giving of God's gifts, our tithes, and our offerings as we invite the ushers to come forward.